Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. This episode of the Motherkind podcast is kindly sponsored by Zendium Toothpaste. I've been sharing about Zendium for a few weeks now, but did you know that they also do a kids range? So Zendium's kids toothpaste contain natural enzymes already present in the mouth. So every time they brush, it boosts your children's mouth's natural defences, giving them extra power to fight the causes of dental problems. Zendium Kids and Junior Toothpaste have mild flavours, which are perfect for our children's more delicate mouths. And they're free from SLS, which is a foaming agent that can irritate our children's gums. So please do check out the kids range. Also, keep an eye out on the Motherkind Instagram because I'm going to run a competition where you can win both adults and the kids range to try for yourselves. In the meantime, head to zendium.co.uk, pop in Motherkind at the checkout for 20% off. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of the podcast. I hope you are all really well. I am very excited about this episode. It is with Emmy Brunner. Emmy is a personal empowerment and transformation coach. She's also a psychotherapist, a hypnotherapist, CEO of the Recover Clinic, an author and a speaker, and she has got more than 20 years of clinical experience. Emmy believes that we've all experienced trauma in our lives. And that actually what we now refer to as mental illness is actually our response to those traumas. And Emmy and I discuss in this episode her inspiring path to healing, to becoming your true self, where anything really is possible. As you'll know, if you're a regular listener to the podcast, I am incredibly passionate about healing and about understanding how our patterns and our habitual responses to life are creating the life. They create our reality. So if we want to change, we have to change what goes on internally first. And that is exactly what Emmy and I talk about in this episode. We talk about what trauma is and fundamentally how to begin healing from it. And I'm so excited about this episode because I must get asked 10 or 20 times a day on Instagram in my inbox, how do I start healing? Where do I start? Well, this episode is exactly that. Emmy really, really clearly explains how to start healing and where you can get to on this path. And she is such a beautiful example, having come from huge traumas in her own past. We also talk about right now being in lockdown. And actually, Emmy and I discuss how it's a fantastic time to start stepping into awareness of your patterns and actually being able to step off the busyness, step off the treadmill and look at your life with more of a helicopter view. I am so excited for this episode. I think, well, I hope it's going to be one that you're going to want to share. So please do share it. If there are people in your life that you think can really benefit from this wisdom, please, please, please share it. I say this a lot, but I do believe that the wisdom and the guests that we have on this show deserve to be heard far and wide 
can you imagine if we could reach more and more mums with this message? What a ripple effect that could create throughout the world. So help me be a part of that and please do share it if you feel moved to. Here is the episode. Emmy, welcome to the podcast. I am really excited to connect with you and to chat with you because I spent the last couple of days reading I think pretty much every word you've written apart from your book I haven't got my hands on quite yet because it's out in May the thing that comes through everything that I've learned about you is compassion I'm really looking forward to talking about trauma which a lot of people think is a heavy subject can be a heavy subject but I think the way that you approach it is with a lightness and a compassion so I wondered if we could start by a beautiful story, actually, that's in your ebook about the woman who falls down the hole. It's a really nice way to start introducing your work and what we're going to unpack in this conversation. Okay, yeah, sure. Do you know what? It's something I tell a lot, actually, in my work because I think it sums up a lot about me and about how I view kind of healing in a much more general sense. And that is that a woman is walking down the street and she falls into a hole and she's stuck and she can't get out. And she's calling and she's shouting for help. And a doctor comes past and throws down a prescription. And she's like, that's great, but I'm still stuck in this hole. And then a holy person walks down the street and bends in and says, do you know what? I'm going to pray for you. And she's like, that's amazing, but I'm still stuck in this hole. And then a friend walks down the street and she calls and shouts and the friend jumps in the hole with her. And she's like, what are you doing? We're both stuck in this hole. And the friend says, yeah, but I've been here before and I know how to get out. And for me, that just sums up everything that I believe about mental healing and mental well-being and my starting point with anybody who I'm fortunate and blessed enough to be able to serve and work with. So what was the hole that you fell down? I think just kind of this never-ending abyss of darkness from the behaviours that I inflicted upon myself, just destructive and harmful behaviours, whether they were eating disorder behaviours or literal self-harm behaviours or engaging in one abusive relationship after another. But more than that, just living with this persistently unkind, shame-based internal narrative that just wouldn't let up and wouldn't leave me alone and it was exhausting I wasn't even aware enough to know that it was a narrative to be able to use language like that around it I wouldn't have been able to do that at the time I just found myself reacting constantly to the world around me and trying to survive that sounds really dramatic maybe but literally getting through a day was a massive achievement at that point I think a lot of people particularly now will relate to that And particularly this constant voice of you're not enough, Mm -hmm. you're not doing enough. You know, this podcast is all for mothers, mum guilt, that constant narrative. And you would say that that narrative is linked to trauma. And I'm really excited to unpack this because I think people tend to think about trauma as one horrific event that might have caused PTSD, abuse. Mm -hmm. And you say that we all have trauma. I believe that too. We all have trauma. And what trauma does is it distorts our view of ourselves, our narratives and our story of who we are and who we could be. So Mm -hmm. could you start to unpack that massive question? (laughs) Start to unpack your view on 
trauma and how it's helpful and why it's helpful for people to have this expanded view? God, there's so much in there, isn't there? I think kind of starting with that, first of all, I would say that, do you know what, that was my view as well. Like I didn't understand really what trauma was and I associated trauma with like massive catastrophic environmental disasters or wars or found it very difficult to relate to in terms that resonated with me personally. But what I came to understand was trauma was really anything that had created or left us with a feeling of lack of safety or uncertainty or distress at some point. And that is a massive scale. So for some people, parents getting divorced is a significant trauma. For some kids, moving schools is a significant trauma. Bullying is a massive trauma that lots of people don't talk about or aren't able to identify. And then there are more significant traumas that are a little bit easier for us to be able to recognise, such as being in an abusive relationship or being in a domestic violence scenario. We're normally able to recognise the cuts and bruises easier than we are the kind of internal wounds that are inflicted upon us, I think. And that was certainly my experience. I could understand how being punched in the face was a trauma, but I couldn't understand how being verbally or emotionally abused over a period of time was a trauma. I found that difficult to identify. And I think just by the nature of being human, we all experience trauma. We all go through challenges. We all experience difficult things. What's key is the tools and the strategies that we have in place to be able to manage those life events, because that's really what they are when they happen. And for those of us who aren't blessed with a set of tools and strategies to be able to cope effectively with those things when they happen, we develop adapted behaviours and different ways of trying to cope and manage. So for me, that was a series of self-harming behaviours, eating disorder behaviours, just general self-destruction, but it very much still was a coping tool. It was something that I was using to manage how I felt. And I think part of the problem now with mental health treatment is it becomes about managing and minimizing those coping strategies rather than recognizing them as actually responses to trauma and that they're serving a purpose and that actually to just take them away from a person can actually be quite traumatic within itself. And so I think through doing that, I love working with mums because mums are so willing and so able to do things for other people because so much of our lives centre around our kids and about making sure that they are safe and that their needs are being met. And it's very easy to help people to recognise that somewhere along the line, what's important for them has been put to the bottom of the pile, to the bottom of the list, and how they can kind of marry up that need to love and nurture the people around them with the necessity to love and nurture themselves It's work for all of us to do. And I'm a mum myself. It's something that I've had to navigate as well. So let's go into this more. We had Gabor Marty on the podcast and I I, I see a lot of reflections in your works very symbiotic with his. And he says, trauma isn't what happened to you. It's how you experience what happened to you. And I think this is so important. When I heard that, it was incredibly healing Because anything can happen, tiny things can happen. You can fall over and scrape your knee. And if you're told that didn't hurt you, what's wrong with you? Stop crying. That is a trauma. And I think when I started to realize, ah, it's about my experiences weren't validated through no fault of my parents. They didn't know how to do that because they hadn't had to do that. You know, this is the generational aspect, isn't it? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, as young people, we're looking to those that raise us for guidance about how to kind of navigate the world. And when we experience things, you're right, it doesn't really matter what they are, actually, big or small. If they're not validated or how we feel isn't reflected by those around us, then we internalize that experience and we become the problem. And I think that certainly was my experience growing up, that things were happening, I was feeling things, I was experiencing things, and they weren't validated. They were either ignored or minimized. And what that left me with was a sense that everybody else was saying that this was okay. Everybody else was functioning and getting on, and therefore the problem must belong to me. And I think we live in a very limiting society where we really pathologize everything that we experience as human beings so everything becomes labeled with a diagnosis rather than actually this is a very normal human response to a difficult and challenging situation and so you leave people with this sense that I have mental health problems I mean what does that even mean I have mental health problems. I'm never going to be able to recover from an eating disorder. An eating disorder is something you will live with for a lifetime. We have these kind of definitive statements that are fed to us that are just simply not true. These are adaptations that we've made to try and survive and function. And I think for me now, reflecting back, I can recognize that in myself. I recognize it with every single person who's ever been through my clinic. And also these are survivors, These are people who have faced challenges and faced difficult things who turn up repeatedly to try and shift things, to do the work. Because if you have been faced with a difficult period in your life or over a lifetime, you'll know how exhausting it is to do that fight. It is exhausting. And yet they continue to show up. I found myself great healing and inspiration through the people that I've worked with over the years myself through this. But you're absolutely right. It's about having those people that care for us, but that we care for and hold in such great esteem when they don't validate us or reinforce what we're experiencing is normal somehow, then we become the problem. And I think partly the healing comes when we find that validation in other ways. And I just want to underscore this point because I think it's right at the cutting edge of the healing world, I hope. In 10, 20 years, everyone will know and understand this, that mental illness is a response, is an adaptive response to unresolved traumas, things that happened in our lives we haven't processed yet. Yet that's still very groundbreaking because at the moment we're treating, we treat mental illness as the surface level. So can you unpack that a bit more? Because people are going to be listening thinking, this is new news. If someone's diagnosed depression, anxiety, addiction, they're going to be thinking, God, So I'm wondering if you could just unpack that, because to you and I, we're like, of course, but... Well, yes and no. My entire clinical training, nobody talked to me about this, ever. Trauma wasn't talked about. In my entire seven years of clinical training, this wasn't raised. It was such a limiting world. It was a very patriarchal, white man's world, the therapy world, and psychiatry generally. And there was something really missing for me about human connection. And I trained to be a clinician very young. It's a second career for a lot of people. It wasn't for me. I went and worked in an inpatient facility. There was something just so inherently wrong with how people were being treated on a really generalized program and the mantra and literally a mantra in 12-step recovery that I am an addict on repeat in your head every day. And we all know what 
it feels like to repeat something to ourselves on a loop every day. It impacts our sense of self. It impacts our well-being. It really kind of beds down into the soul of who we are. And it seemed like we were telling these people that they were going to be ill for the rest of their lives. And this was going to be a struggle for the rest of their lives. And they needed to pay attention to that for the rest of their lives. And I literally couldn't believe this. I couldn't believe why people weren't being given permission to heal. Why couldn't people get better? It didn't make sense to me. These people were wounded. They'd experienced difficult life events. They didn't know how to cope with those life events. Surely by arming them with the tools to cope, they could get better. Surely by trading in some of these destructive coping tools for more nurturing ones, people could heal. And it took me to try that. It just was in my bones that that was the right thing to do. And I set up my private practice and started teaching that. And that's what happened. And people did. People got better. The recovery rate in my clinic is extremely high because what they get when they come in is a cocoon of love and nurture and compassion. And actually, when we're all in a crap place, that's pretty much without exception what we need. What they didn't need are clever clinical interventions. You know, the work that we did was underpinned by a really good clinical understanding and insight. But what they needed and the kind of team that I looked for were people that were willing to offer some part of themselves to be of service to others, to help people to walk a path that they'd walked themselves. And for me, that's why I can be so confident about the work that I do, because I've done it and I've got the clinical training to back it up if people need that and want that. But I swear that wasn't taught to me in a clinical classroom. It just wasn't. I think it's come from the experience of connecting with people over the years and you're right it is a really new way of working I think the undeniable truth will be that this works for people and this helps people get better and I think more and more people will seek it out last week I did a free challenge for the first time kind of inspired by the last year I decided to just get out there and offer free support to as many people as I could And the themes that were coming up for people were exactly the same. I feel less than, I feel unworthy, I don't feel good enough. I'm ashamed. I am literally ashamed of my needs as a human being, my need for hunger, my need for passion, my need for inspiration. And I'm settled and I'm half asleep. And so this process of really trying to wake people up and highlight to them just the breadth of what is possible for you when you're in connection to yourself is just so inspiring. Where does someone start? I think a lot of people will resonate with those insights. I think the first step is to become awakened, so become conscious of those voices in your head that are motivating your choices and behaviours. And in the early days, I would always ask, what's motivating that choice? Is it coming from a place of love, kindness and compassion? Or is it coming from someplace else? Is there a narrative that you are living by that you didn't have any business in setting up? Is this inherited? Is what's making your choices motivated by your passions, your joy? Or is it something you were told you needed to do? Is it something that you're still seeking validation from somewhere else? Start to become conscious because it's that process I said before of waking up. We can't know what the work is if we don't know what the work is. You know, we have to become really enlightened to what our own process is in order to be able to shift it or do anything about it. You know, the more that I 
have these conversations and do this work. And I've been living this kind of waking up process for quite a few years now. I believe that this is the most profound thing that a human can do with their life. Mm-hmm. Wake up mm-hmm. from living those limiting narratives, which you yeah. would trauma. Yeah. And I get why it's scary. I remember it kind of coming to this realization, sitting there and thinking, oh my God, I've been unhappy for most of my life. And it was the most bloody depressing thought. I couldn't believe it. I've been unhappy for most of my life. And then the second thought, what am I going to do now? And I realized how powerful I was in the path that I was then going to take. That actually, if I could be brave, I didn't need that narrative to change straight away. I just needed to recognize it and recognizing how limiting it had been in everything I'd done, the relationships I'd had, my career, everything. If I could just be brave and do something different, then maybe things could be different. And it was from that place that everything began to change. I relate a lot. And I had a very similar moment of choice. And it's almost like a a chink in the chain and a light. Mm -hmm. and, And actually that moment happens to me multiple times. Yeah, daily actually. It's like this mm-hmm. constant choice, isn't it? This constant choice. Am I going to act from that place of old patterning, old conditioning, what I saw down my female line? Am I going to do that, which is mm-hmm. available to me any moment? Or am I going to do this, which yeah. times is hard. Setting boundaries is hard. Putting mm-hmm. my needs sometimes above my children's because I have to do that is hard. But actually that's where the joy is and the recovery is and the... Mm-hmm. I put my needs first in all areas of my life, by the way, including my kids. Mums don't like this, by the way. They kind of go, ah, but let me kind of talk you through it. I often share kind of the example of when you're on an aircraft and somebody tells you to put the life jacket on yourself first before your children. And I think intuitively you immediately think, well, no, I can't do that. I have to put it on my kids first. And then you think it through and you think, well, no, of course I have to put it on myself first. Because if I don't, how on earth am I going to be there for them? How on earth am I going to support them, love them, save them if I need to? I can't. And when you apply that way of thinking to everything in your life and ask yourself as well, what is it you're wanting to model to your children? Are we wanting to model some sort of perfection to them? Or are we wanting to model... Actually, things are difficult sometimes, but I'm going to show you how I cope with that when it happens. I'm going to show you what not being perfect looks like because you're going to need to know that. You're going to need that because actually, as much as I hold you in the highest light possible, you're not perfect because you're a human being. And for you to recognize that and embrace that gift of being a human being, you need to see me do it. Bruce Springsteen says, your kids do what you do, not what you say. And He is a wise man that I take guidance from from time to time. And I think it's so true. I think for my daughters to look at me as somebody who nurtures herself and in doing so, I'm so much more free to give them so much more than I was before. So although it might feel counterintuitive, actually it opens up your world to be so much more available to others when you prioritize your own well-being. I totally agree. And what I find interesting is I wonder if your daughters will find it counterintuitive. I suspect they will find it easier 
to nourish and love themselves when they become mothers or if you know in their lives if they don't because I think the reason that particularly in our generation so many mothers find it unbearable to think about putting their own needs first is because we we had mothers often who didn't do that so so going against patterning I I think you're so right and I think one of my kind of greatest fears when I had my first daughter I don't know if it's possible to have a nurturing relationship with your daughter because I didn't know what that looked like I didn't have that it just seemed unfathomable to me that that would be even an option you know, and it's painful to me even now to think about that. I mourned and still will always mourn never having that myself and how painful that is to not have that mum that bundles you up and does what other other friends of mine would complain about. Oh, my mum's trying to pin me down around Christmas or my mum keeps calling me up and sending me bags of tea. I don't need to in lockdown. And I'm like, you have no idea the part of my soul that craves for that. And so having a daughter was really painful for me to imagine how I was going to be able to do that, or even if that was an option for me. And so I tried to kind of connect with other women who I thought had good relationships with their mums. And I started to meet people. And I guess the heart seeks out what it wants. And I met more and more people who did. And the other thing that happened in my clinic fortuitously is that I don't run all the groups in my clinic anymore but I did I was covering a group and it was about mums about mothers and the thing that every single group member on that day shared that was most painful about the relationship with their mother wasn't mum making mistakes or getting things wrong it wasn't about that it was about mum's inability to take care of herself that was most painful and I've never ever forgotten it And it just stayed with me. And I've thought about it and I relate to it myself personally so much. Just actually the gift of seeing your own mother nurture and love herself is just what an amazing thing. And so that was my kind of pledge to myself for me to demonstrate to my own daughters what it is to love and nurture yourself and to take care of yourself. I feel like it's the biggest gift that hopefully I can give them. You know, that is so right, because when I think about my own experience with my mum, that's the thing that is most painful, is having a mum who didn't love herself, doesn't love herself. Yeah, it's painful. It's hard to sit with that, isn't it? It's a, it's a hard thing to sit with, yeah. So if there are mums listening thinking, I don't love myself, I don't want my kids to witness that and that to become a pain, a trauma for them, how does someone start to begin to move from that place of the unwell voice, the inner critic, as you, mm. the unwell voice, I love mm. that. Shame based, you're not enough. No. How does someone start to nudge? You talk about stacking, which I love, nudge themselves towards a place of more nurture and self love. I think partly it's challenging that narrative that you can't change, that you can't do things differently just because you never have. And just because you can't imagine what that would look like doesn't mean it's not possible for you. I mean, listen, I'm talking to you as somebody who's so consumed with self-loathing that I couldn't look in a mirror. I couldn't bear to even witness myself existing. And it's changed so transformatively for me. But by making these little shifts and what I call stacking, and stacking is basically rather than giving yourself a mountain to climb, it's about kind of just throwing pebbles, just one thing at a time out there for yourself and whether that's initially 
just a question, what if this could be different? Wow, one moment to give yourself permission to entertain the possibility of change. Wow, that is such an amazing space to start. What if this could be different? Because it's only when we begin to entertain the possibility that our world begins to expand. I'm such a big believer that people are put into my world or I'm put into theirs for a reason. I really believe that. People listening to this episode can take yeah. it as their reason. You know, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. This episode and they're hearing this mm-hmm. really powerful invitation. What if things could be different? Yeah. And then starting with that mindfulness, being aware, recognizing the presence of that unwell voice and becoming very mindful to it. What would it be like for you to begin to entertain? to introduce, even if it's a whisper, a voice of compassion. And it will feel false and it will feel weird and it might cringe you out because it really did me. It felt absolutely artificial and false to speak to myself in that way. But I persisted because I felt like I needed to give myself an opportunity, a chance to live differently. Yeah, you know, I remember... I started in 12-step actually 15 years ago and mm. I remember someone saying to me, just notice as you go through your day what you're saying to yourself, just notice. And this was like this little door and, you know, I remember this so vividly, even though it was 15 years ago, the horror. It felt like putting my head above the waves and looking around and noticing that I'd been in this water drowning within this voice of constant you're not mm, enough, mm, shades of it. Mm. And I was like, I remember the moment being like, oh my bloody, I've been living with that my whole life and had not been aware of it. And that can yeah. be quite an overwhelming moment. I found that quite overwhelming, that first mm-hmm. chink of like, oh my God, I'm living with essentially, I've internalized a bullying voice in my head and allowed it to become my reality. Yeah, it is overwhelming, but don't be afraid, you know, don't be afraid of that. It's okay. It's okay to sit with that. A client of mine said to me last week, she was like, I don't want to tell you what the unwell voice is saying. I don't want to hear it. It's too painful. I was like, it's okay. We've got to stop fighting it and ignoring it or trying to placate it. All of that energy that goes into trying to manage that unwell critical voice could be directed towards nurturing something you know and if you think about the energy that unwell voice requires to remain strong and powerful it has to work on you constantly day in day out and it has to be super repetitive so those mantras again it's on repeat if you think about love how hard is it for you to love your kids for you to love your partner it's not hard It's the easiest thing in the world because actually that is your base as a human being. It doesn't require that level of effort because it just is. And you're in flow around those things. As soon as you shift that balance and you become in flow with yourself, you will find that you're no longer swimming against the tide and that it's just moving in the right direction. And yes, it's conscious to make that decision to stop investing in the unwell voice, to stop trying to keep it happy. The unwell voice loves negotiation, especially around, you know, boring things like diet. Well, if you have that, you can't have this. Okay. 
You're right, we do that. Negotiate. And just as soon as we stop doing that, stop giving it energy. Energy flows where intention goes. Put all of your intention on what you want to expand. Don't put your intention on what you don't want. Don't put your energy where you don't want things to expand. We've got to focus on what you want. I love how you underscore that our essence as humans, you know, I have a little baby who's just one, so I've got to win mm-hmm. recently in the last year. is just she's pure love. And, you know, sometimes I like to think of trauma as I came into the world, this bundle of pure love, and then these things happened to me that took little chunks out of me and I tried mm-hmm. to pick them over with unhelpful things. And for me, my healing over the past 15 years or so has been constantly trying to get back I call it factory settings it just helps me to think of it mm-hmm. that way I'm just trying to get back mm-hmm. just trying to get back to my essence who I really am without these things that I adapted around yeah which is pure love well let me tell you something and nothing was taken from you nothing still there yeah it's just there it's all there. You just need to reconnect with it, just like we all do. And, you know, that sense that things can be taken away from us, they can't. This is your pure essence as a, as a loving being. That's who you are. That's your heart, your soul. That's who you are. These events and experiences cause you to develop, as they did me, different strategies for coping that wounded you and harmed you. But part of what happens is in those early years when we experience those traumas, we form a script a narrative that we're living by and we will unconsciously seek out people and experiences that will reinforce that script until we become aware of what it is and are able to change it so part of why I wrote the book is literally a manual if you like to get back to factory settings as you put it but to help us to recognize that all of these things that we feel so powerless against we're actually in a position to change we're actually in a position to do something about So it may seem like you've got a mountain to climb, but actually it's these small things. And we take these small acts of kindness toward ourselves, these small interventions, and they begin to stack. And suddenly a huge transformation has taken place. And I love how you talk about, just to underscore that point, that what is going on for us internally is reflected externally. Because I'm sure you get asked how do I know if I have trauma? Do I need to go back and unpack every memory that I've had? And my Mm. experience on this is all I had to do was look at my life. Mm. When I started my healing journey, I was in toxic friendships. I was in a job that I hated. I was constantly bullying myself. I double guessed Mm. myself. I didn't know myself. You know, I didn't have to go very far to look at the narrative and what was going on for me because I just looked at my life. Unpacking trauma can be really painful and unnecessary, you know, and I think if you want to use your kids as a good example, if your kids come and tell you something difficult has happened, you don't ask them to go through in detail that event, do you, and relive it for you because it would be too upsetting. You immediately go into nurture, soothing, comfort. And that's what we need as well. Our needs don't suddenly change when we become adults. We need the same things. We just become a bit more ashamed of them and and less willing to voice them. And actually, I think a lot of the mistake with trauma work uh, from a clinical perspective is that people are digging around in painful material, unpacking things that people simply have no strategies to cope with or manage. And there's maybe a kind of a, a moment of catharsis when you share something with somebody potentially but ultimately we've got to focus on building a foundation 
so that whatever happens, whether it's unpacking something difficult, sharing it for the first time or coping with future traumas, that we're able to manage, cope, process. I don't feel frightened of the world in that way anymore because I can trust that whatever happens, I've got myself and my relationship with myself and I'm anchored to that now. Yeah, I feel the same. And that is healing to me. Mm. I trust myself like truly I'm with my spiritual practices I feel like Mm. if something comes into my life it's here to teach me something I believe that with every self you know so it's my opportunity to look at what that is rather than being so afraid all the time of you know doing something wrong or upsetting someone I'm able to have enough steam now to bring that confidence I suppose to life you know like with the homeschooling Mm. at the moment I'm kind of opting out of it to be honest with you and I feel really confident about that decision Mm, yeah that's me that's like to be honest with you there's no part of me that's concerned about that no I have this perspective and I have this trust in myself and my decisions and are you homeschooling uh yeah but I don't really so I (laughs) people are like are you finding it really stressful I'm like no I feel the same of course not because I'm not doing it partly I think what's my priority right now I've got a nine-year-old and she's scared and she's uncertain about the world and she's worried about older family members and she's really gutted about not seeing her friends. And so what does she need from me? She needs to remain engaged, stimulated, energised in nature as much as possible. So my focus and my husband's focus every week is what fun can we create this week for Dixie? Like how can we make sure that she's happy and not being bogged down with a lot of the energy that's in the world at the moment how can we keep her energy levels really up and that involves a lot of taking time outdoors we do cooking and create a lot of creative stuff to be honest the academic stuff I kind of trust a girlfriend of mine said yeah but they're going to fall behind I'm like they're all going to fall behind don't worry about it it's going to be okay has given your work in healing I'm interested to know because this has given me such a different perspective on academics because one of my trauma responses was to become a high achiever and I got all A's and I was a good girl and that was one of my big adaptations the perfect good girl adaptation and actually when I look at it now I you know not that I don't care about education I think it's vitally important but not at the expense of emotional well-being because how many people if I sat in 12-step recovery rooms with thousands with PhDs and degrees and straight A's on the floor. Yeah, well, I think we live in a society, sadly, that has a formula for success and happiness, which is that you go to school, you work hard, you go to university, you get married, you have kids, and that's it. So if you don't comply with that or that doesn't come organically to you then you're really lost at sea as to what the other options are it really is presented certainly by schools as kind of the only choice and I think for me that's partly why myself I went the other way I completely rebelled and didn't get amazing qualifications until later when I did and I became a clinician and things but No, my early years. No, I didn't at all. I didn't go to a very good school. I didn't believe I could do those things. I thought I was stupid. I didn't think I was smart because I didn't subscribe to that academic way of working. I don't think like that. I'm very creative. I don't process information in that kind of way. And I think when you don't, you can feel very challenged by those environments. Also, 
so many of the women that we have come through clinic are high achievers, people who have succeeded on paper in many, many ways and emotionally are drowning. So for me, it's about actually what are we teaching our kids? Like what are the skills that we're so intent on making sure that they can be able to do complex trigonometry and yet we don't know how to facilitate a conversation about emotions i mean what is that that is just bonkers right about codependency or no there's there's no sense of that that flaw yeah i know yeah my daughter goes to a really progressive school they're great but there is still a big drive on the academics and emotional and mental well-being is still very much a kind of follow-up aspect to their curriculum definitely and it's good and it's not bad but my goodness the fact that these skills these core life skills are not being taught to us or being left to us to teach our kids and I tell you what I didn't have them to teach my kids like 15 years ago no chance so I think that's why so many of us just feel under so much pressure we want so desperately the best things for our children but we're still swept into that societal expectation of they've got to get their A grades and they've got to be on this you know on the netball team and they've got to be achieving and they've got to be doing all these things and I think there's a real gap there isn't there in kind of emotional nurture for our kids in schools and um, what part we're playing in that ourselves and what we get swept up in I see it a lot I've seen it a lot over lockdown with the pressure women have put on themselves holding down big jobs to trying to do stuff it's just yeah what would you say to a mum listening who is trying to homeschool maybe she's working maybe she's not but she's feeling that pressure and that comparison Mm. and she's struggling to set boundaries when the teachers are emailing multiple times a day asking printing worksheets asking for work you know I'm trying to paint a picture because friends this is what they're saying to me yeah but the teacher's emailing me and I'm like set a boundary what would you say to that mum just remember what the most important things are in your world your most important things are in your world your children's well-being and yours should be, even if it's not. Let's entertain the possibility that that's something you're working toward, right? So you get that email and you say, do you know what? Thanks ever so much for doing this. I really appreciate the pressure you're under right now. Thank you. We're going to do as much as we can. I really appreciate you understanding that. That's it. Just love, compassion, kindness. And just from a homeschool perspective, do the bare minimum. Do the absolute bare minimum that you need to do, you feel you need to do. So if that's a bit of maths, a bit of English to make sure, you know, our focus was on telling the time last term. That was it. That was like a massive achievement for Dixie to come out of that, being able to tell the time. We pulled her out of the Zoom lessons that they had scheduled for that because we felt more confident of being able to do it in a more spontaneous way with her. And she loved it. And not being sat in front of a screen all day was actually really good for her and her mental well-being. You know, you talk about modelling a lot and I think mm. about modelling a lot and I talk about it on every single episode that I do mm-hmm. on the podcast. Isn't it incredible? Like, I feel like you're modelling to Dixie and your other daughter, River, and I'm modelling to Jessie. What we're really modelling is empowerment. Saying things can go on outside of you and people can tell you how to do things but check in with yourself what are your values what's important to you and I just feel really excited that I'm modeling that because I didn't know how to do that and most of the women that I work with and I'm suspecting you work with don't know how to do that they don't know who they are or what's important to them yeah 
but you can learn can't you and that's amazing yeah. so you can learn these things that people feel are so out of reach are all tangible learnable skills that we can all learn to do and when you learn to do them and you start implementing them in your life then amazing things start to happen and that's when the real magic happens and wouldn't now be an incredible time for someone listening to practice that a hundred percent that's why I do this work that's why I did the free challenge I'm doing a course at the end of January called from lost to the river because I called it from lost to the river because it's an old Spanish expression that I came over which is not about from being lost to found but actually when you find the river you are found you know if you're lost in the woods and you find a river it leads somewhere and it's just about getting on that path just about taking those first steps and you're on your way and you're found your home It's basically me coaching a group of incredible people through this journey. And it's something I've never done before. I'm so excited about it because just the amount of people that I come into contact with or that contact me after doing a podcast, like yourself kindly hosting me on here, just wanting answers and wanting to know how to get from A to B. And that's the thing. So many of us have got that passion, they've got that drive, and they just don't know how to start. Like you say, well, what are the first steps? And so it's just about helping somebody to take those steps and go, right, this is what you've got to do piece by piece. And I've run it over eight weeks. Yeah, I'm just so excited about it. And for me, just being able to serve, being able to help even however many people it is, a thousand people to get to a point where they can radically change their lives and transform the relationship they have with themselves through nurturing a more compassionate relationship with themselves is just incredible. Yeah, it's such a gift, particularly at this time. Yeah. I feel like the slowness, all the multiple forces that are on us as mm. mothers, I have noticed all my old stuff coming up, actually. Yeah. I think it is. And I think the universe shows up to challenge us in these moments to kind of get us to take stock and reflect on the work that remains to be done. And I see that happen like in my own journey as well, that every so often something will happen. And at the moment, that's been a big something that's happened. But it calls me to reflect, to slow down, to stop. And actually, I think this is an incredible time to do that work, to stop and go, what am I doing? Let me just get off the treadmill for a sec. Let me just reflect on everything, all my sort of areas of output. How invested am I in any of them? How much joy are they bringing me? Like, let's just stop, slow down and ask the questions. And if we don't like it, what am I going to do about it? What am I prepared to shift? What am I prepared to change? And give yourself permission to do that work. It's such a powerful, powerful way to look at the challenge that people are in. Yeah, perspective always, is everything, isn't it? I always ask the same question at the end of every interview, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why? Well, in a kind of all-powerful sense, I'd give them the gift of self-love, but in the humble place that I am, I'd give them the gift of knowing that anything is possible for them, because I think we get really beaten down by the narrative that we have, and our views of what's possible for ourselves become so limited and blinkered, and so just to open up their world a little bit and recognise just the absolute gifts that they have and the goddesses that they are and help them to step in and own that would be amazing where does someone 
go if they want to absorb more of your wisdom? I try and post as much free content as I can on Instagram on Emmy Brunner official, but looking at my website, emmybrunner.com is where I post as much as I can about the kind of clinical insights that I have and bits and pieces about my own journey and what I've overcome to try and support other people in their healing. And your ebook is amazing. I read Thank it. Thank you. My book is out in May. So obviously when that comes out, it's available for pre-order now though, if people want to access that and being published by Penguin Life. Amazing. I can't wait to read it. The cover's beautiful. Oh, thank you. Go and have a look at the cover before you can get your hands on the actual thing. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much. It's been a real gift for me this morning just to connect back to some truths that I've been really enjoyed hearing. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure to connect with you, Zoe. And thank you for all you do. You're welcome. So that was the episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. As ever, if you did, please consider sharing it with your friends and leaving me a review on iTunes. It really does make a difference to the number of mums that we can reach with the brilliant wisdom of the guests I have on. Also, just a reminder about the Family Reset Plan. It's my latest offering to parents. I think that we are living in probably the challenge of our lifetimes. Well, definitely so far. And as parents, we not only have to support ourselves, we also have to support our children. And that is a lot. So the Family Reset Plan is myself and two brilliant psychologists and we give you step-by-step, simple, applicable ways that you can support yourself emotionally to feel stronger, calmer, and therefore to support your children in a different way. It's all grounded in psychology and neuroscience. It's just £25 currently. And if you work for the NHS, it is totally free for you. So check out the website, familyresetplan.co.uk. Take care. I'll see you next time.